Welcome to the Urbonus Podcast, everyone. I am the host, Donatas Urbonus, and in this episode, I'm joined by two great guards, two very dedicated players, ladies and gentlemen, my beloved co-host, Eric McCollum, and Mr. Triple Double, Cody Miller McIntyre from Basconia. Hello, guys. What's up, my guy? Hello. <laughs> Quite cringe, <laughs> quite quite cringe. Beginning after a great uh, <laughs> off the record conversation that we had just before we had this magical rec button, but it's it's normal. It's ten at night in Turkey right now. It's nine in Lithuania. It's eight in Vitoria, but that should be a really exciting hour uh, because we are going to cover a few interesting topics, such as why it's so hard to do a triple double in Europe compared to the NBA. If all-time scoring record makes Mike James the yearly GOAT, do we have new FIBA national team's powerhouse in the making and more? But let's just uh, start, uh, let's just jump straight into it. In case you missed in history, 20 days ago, Cody Miller McIntyre registered just the fourth triple double in the early history, joining Nikola Vujic, who did it twice in 2005 and 2006, and Nick Kalatis in 2019, the only players to record a triple double in the early history before. So, 11 points, 11 rebounds, early record 20 assists in a win against Oswald Villarban. Congratulations, Cody. That's an amazing achievement. And, you know, what does it mean to you, actually, given your basketball journey here in Europe? We had some quick glimpses in your career. What does it actually mean to you? Uh, man, it means a lot. Um, I would say, especially in my situation, you know, first year in EuroLeague, 29 years old, having two tough seasons before, um, nobody expected it. Um, nobody expected, you know, to be, me to be playing pretty well here in Basconia for Basconia to be doing well um, with me as, you know, the point guard. Um, <clears throat> so it definitely means a lot. And then it's also a lot of the stuff I think about and I do, I do it for people who haven't had this opportunity. So playing basketball overseas in general, you know, waking up every day, getting to play the game that we love. There's a lot of people back home who've never had this opportunity. Maybe it's just from situation, maybe it's from injury, you know, it's a lot of different factors on why they didn't have the opportunity. So a lot of it is for them. And then especially getting this chance at the EuroLeague stage, I feel like there's a lot of guards, a lot of players who spent years and years in Europe and they all deserve the chance and they all deserve the opportunity to play at the highest level possible. So I think it's just proven that you don't have to have a big name to play at a high level. Um, you don't have to have, you know, years and years of EuroLeague experience to be able to come in and produce. You don't have to have years and years of NBA experience to be able to come in and produce because a lot of that is based on opportunity situations. So that's what means the most for me. You know? It sounds like um, you kind of fill a void of, when they carry that torch, you know, for guys who maybe don't get an opportunity, for guys who maybe have to wait a little bit longer than they're deserving. So what's your mindset going into that, you know, every game, every match, or when you're signing that contract with Basconia, what's your mindset? Are you thinking about, you know, what I need to do, but also are you realizing that your success, how you play, you understand that that could open the doors for many other players in the future who haven't yeah, had that uh, chance in a year. Definitely. Like I think, um, so I almost went to China 
my agent talked me out of it. I think it was an ongoing, ongoing conversation for like a month. I was like, yo, I'm done with Europe. I've been in Europe for X amount of years. I'm not, I feel like I'm trying my hardest. Things aren't changing. Send me to China. Let me go make my money. Nobody know where I am. Nobody really keeping up with me. I make my money. I come home. And then when Basconia came, I was like, okay, well, I've turned down EuroLeague before. Um, I had a EuroLeague offer before. I turned it down. Now this is the second opportunity where it's on paper again. And I'm like, I got to take this. I have to forget the money that I could potentially make in China. This is an opportunity for me to prove everybody wrong about me and about the type of player I am, the type of person I am. And again, going back to what you just said, Eric, it's also, bro, there's so many good players in Europe that deserve the opportunity that I had, that I have, that I'm currently taking advantage of. And I'm doing this for myself. And then also, like I said, you know, just to prove people, like you don't have to have a big name. Uh, When I see somebody with a big name, I get excited. You know, uh, me and Eric, we've had our battles before. He's came out on top, paused multiple times. uh, And I've gotten a few wins against him as well. Um, But it's like when I see somebody who is at the level I want to be at, oh, I get get energized. I get excited because when you're on that court, there's no difference between me and somebody else besides our last name and situation. So that's kind of the energy I try to bring where – the first thing I think about, I'm like, yo, how much does he make across from me? How much do I make? That's literally one of the first things I think about. Like, yo, he's going to pay how much? Oh, no, yeah. I, I'm at least worth half of what he's getting. That's my mentality. Like, at least half. I like At that. least. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of my mentality. You know, signing, coming here, and then every game, especially in Europe. So when was it when you had this initial EuroLeague offer years ago? When was it? So I was I was with Partizan. Um, I, I personally was having a decent year at Partizan, and I had an offer to go to Panthinakos. Panthinakos on paper, um, contract ready, everything. And me being the person I am, I'm a loyal person. So I signed a two-year deal to Partizan. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to jump ships. We're struggling right now. I don't want to come here and just get up and leave. And when I feel like we have the team to do better, I'm here for two years. I like Serbia. I like, you know, I like the fans. I like the situation. I want to fight through this situation. I don't want to just jump ships. And I think they called me on like a Thursday and said I had to be there. I think it was like a Sunday or Monday because this year they was going through guards. Like I think they probably had three or four point guards that year. Um, So, yeah, I turned it down. I was like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm here. Signed a two-year deal with Partizan. Like, I'm staying here. I'm not jumping ships. And just to clarify, you know, it was Partizan before Jelko returned. It was a Partizan that had a lot of financial issues. They were lacking of consistency, both with the head coaches, both with finances, with the front office. So, yeah, it's it's like, it's a rare thing that you, you, you were loyal to that partisan organization, that partisan mm-hmm. club, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, but, so... That's true. Amazing city. city. Amazing city. city. <laughs> amazing city. But it was, uh, it was the same thing in college. You know, we were struggling a little bit in college, but I think it was my sophomore year. Going into my junior year, I was thinking about transferring. And I was just like, you know what? 
if I can't accomplish what I need to accomplish here, then it's not going to make a difference if I leave. Like I committed here to go to to be here for four years. I'm the starting point guard. I personally have no reason to leave besides thinking the grass is greener somewhere else. So who knows? Maybe I would have went to Pentanacos. Maybe I wouldn't have been ready. Maybe that would have been my only EuroLeague opportunity and it never came again. So I think I made the right decision by staying and trying to stick it through. But, you know. Yeah, but two years later, you were like, you were thinking you were done with Europe. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Nah, it has to be nah, tough. It is. But it, let's yeah. make it clear also, you were not thinking about it like complete retirement, right? Because I've read an article on, on Euro Hoops by a great reporter, actually, Ch- Cesare Milanti. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, from his piece, I thought that you were actually thinking about retiring from basketball in, in general. Bro, I was thinking about being done. <laughs> I was thinking about, like, figuring out something at the house. You know, I got, um, I'm in a real estate. My family owns their own real estate company. It was just two very hard years back to back, you know, getting relegated with Andorra trying my hardest, fighting every night, trying my hardest, but we're still losing games, like, consistently. Um, and then going to Turkey, where we were doing pretty well when we, were, when we were in our city, but then the earthquake hit. And once the earthquake hit and we moved to Istanbul, we could not win a game to save our life. Everybody was mentally done, um, frustrated. You know, people on the team are dealing with deaths, dealing with, you know, family members being hurt. So... All of that just hit me like, yo, I literally could have lost my life being in a city for basketball, and it's not the situation that I want to be in. So what am I really doing out here? You know, what if I was in Gaziantep in the wrong part of the city? Um, You know, I would have lost my life being in a situation that I wasn't truly happy in in the first place. So, yeah, I text my agent. I was like, bro, I'm done. I was like, I think I'm done. Like, I'm... I need to take a year off at least. I need to get my mind right because the stress that overseas put on players when you don't have your family with you, you're not surrounded by loved ones, and you know how the basketball world is out here. It's cutthroat. Like I just told you, and I never talked about this, so this would be the first time I publicly talked about it. I turned down an offer to go to EuroLeague with Partizan. They knew about it. X amount of time later, I get cut from Partizan. So it's like, what like what am I doing? Where, why am I being loyal to situations when the situation isn't being loyal to me? Why am I risking my mental health, risking my peace of mind for situations? That's not ideal, you know? So, but yeah, I was for sure thinking about being done. Wow. Wow. That's a hell of a Cinderella story, I would say. <laughs> you know, for you to get this offer. And because... I think it's it's quite rare to get the first EuroLeague opportunity at the age of 29. And you both will expand on it later because Eric, uh, I was surprised while I was doing this research, I think that he also got his first EuroLeague opportunity or at least he signed the EuroLeague contract when he was 29. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's, at least I think that it should be tough for players like you guys because probably a lot of GMs or coaches, they're like, okay, if you're not succeeding at le- at that level from the very beginning, 
they're fast, they're quick to write you off because they, they might say, oh, I was right, he was too short, he, was, he cannot play defense, he cannot shoot, uh, or, you know, all these mm-hmm. uh, negative narratives that all the other GMs had before, before they finally gave you an opportunity to play in the EuroLeague. D- do you feel like some kind of a extra pressure of having to perform really quick when you get this opportunity really late because they will go after younger or different options? Yeah, um, when I when I start started, I had um, had to come from the bottom and work my way up. So you're kind of constantly building, building, building. You're always having to prove something, always having to show something. And then you feel like you finally got to a level in Europe where, all right, I've shown who I was. I've had successful year after successful year. Now you're talking three, four straight years. Like to give you an idea, I think that year where I started to merge, I was in the Greek league and I was on like a team that just came from the second division. We made the playoffs surprisingly. And I was like the third being scored um, in the Greek league. The fourth year, I jump up, I make a decision to go stay in the Greek league. I was familiar with it. And I go to Pinones. At this time, it's a Euro Cup team known as the third best team in Greece. I led the Greek lead in scoring. I led the Euro Cup in scoring. Uh, I think I was like import player of the year or something like of the Greek lead and played well. And halfway through that year, I have a first offer. Um, I'm 25 or 26 years old. AC Law tears his ACL. Um, and Olympiakos wants me. And at that point, um, of course, like I'm a young player. I've been watching these yearly games. I'm starting to familiarize myself. I want to go. But I also like, you know, Pinones, I like the situation. But, you know, I wanted to go, but they blocked it. Boom. I didn't have a buyout into the summertime. So I respected it. I stayed and played. And I think it ended up being a blessing anyway because me and AC Law's games yeah. are total opposites. Like, how do I fit in? Like, I never been a sit-in-the-corner type of player. And with Spanulis being so dominant at the time and such a great player, you dribble that ball up, you pass to him. And, I mean, he's a champion. He's won. Like, <laughs> this is your job. And, you know, you have to find ways to be effective. So at that point, it was tough for me. And then once the Reds here, once the Reds are on you, then the Greens are on you, right? So um, now the Greens are calling. They're trying to get me too, and they were trying to buy me out. So those were my first opportunities. And then, you know, the timing just wasn't right. And then there was another time I had another year lead offer, and I ended up choosing Galatasaray instead. You know, I felt like it was a better fit where I was going to be able to showcase my game. I feel like when you go to that level, it needs to be a right situation where you can play to your strengths. A lot of times those strengths um, can be prohibited in a situation where you don't have full trust from the coaches. So to harp on what you said, I felt um, when I do make that decision to step to the yearly, I need to be in a situation where I can be me. I can handle failing, doing the things I do, you know, playing the pick and roll, being a scorer, creation, having a ball in my hands, doing decisions. I can handle failing like that, but I can't handle failing playing someone else's game because I've been me for 36 years now. Playing someone else's game, even though you're a good player, you're a pro, yeah. it's not easy to transition to be someone else for three, four months and you're playing against people who are comfortable. So um, I felt not a pressure, but like, all right, I'm going to make sure the timing is right. Because when you pick a team, Europe is very unforgiving. Um, if you're old and you pick a team uh, and you don't play well, they say you're too old. If you're young and you pick a team and you don't play well, they yeah. say you're too young, you're not ready, you're not seasoned. If you're in your prime years and you pick a team and you don't play well, they say yeah. you're not good enough. So there's always a reason. So like I was very cognizant of picking the teams where I would have freedom and I would take less money or I would take a, a smaller name, a smaller tradition, 
maybe a Euro Cup instead of yearly if I felt like the freedom was not correct. And so once it finally came, I had the freedom when I did choose at 29 uh, to go to FS. I had built my name up in Europe at that t- time. I'm seven years in, six years in. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm ready now. And my name had been solidified in Europe. And the team didn't play well. We had so many injuries. There were so many outlying factors, so many things that happened. But, you know, I was able to establish yeah. that I could play at this level and I had opportunities from there. But, like, just it's not a pressure, but you have to be cognizant of that opportunities only come so often and they're not promised. You could get injured, you could play bad, or the team can be bad. You can't play yeah. bad, the team yeah. do bad, and you have injury history. You do those three, you yeah. forget even Euro Cup. You might be dropped down to, mm-hmm. to uh, FIBA Cup, yeah. FIBA, Euro Cup, whatever. Like, you just never know. One game a week. So it's, it's really tough um, making these choices. And I tell people all the time, like, don't just chase the money. Chase the situation. Of course, I like money. Of course, I want to take care of my family. But if you pick the right yeah. situations, money will come. And not, I'm not saying turn down a ridiculous amount of money. But if the money is close, you can tell when a player was in your position the year before how they did. You know, to look at Cody's situation, I'm sure he's seen what Darius Thompson did last year. The freedom, the playing, how that ball moved, how he was able to lead the lead in assists. I'm sure he's seen before how Perry and Henry uh, led the uh, lead and assist in the year lead. I'm sure he read the stories about Darius Adams, Mike James, like Basconia is point guard you. If you go there and you have an ability to play pick and roll, to create, to show your game, they will give you the platform to show your game. So I think he made an excellent choice and he's right. If he goes to that year lead too early, they might write you off and it's yeah, hard to get back. What you said is like, it's perfect because let's say, yes, I have the ability to score, you know, but I'm not a prolific scorer. I'm not somebody that shows up every night and you're like, yo, I need you to go get me 20 to 25 every night in order for us to win. Do I have the capability of doing that, you know, a couple nights, like at a high level? For sure, but that's not my, it's not my game. So if I would have came to a Euro league in a situation where it's like, yo, the ball is in your hand, you need to make shots. You need to make sure you put this ball in the cup every single try to every single possession, maybe I wouldn't have been as good as I'm, or I wouldn't have played as good as I'm playing now, where like my game is, I can score, yes, but I can also pass really well. And me being able to be with shooters and pass the ball is what helps me score the ball easier. Do you help? Do you not help? If you don't help, boom, layup, floater, X, Y, Z. If you do help, I'm finding my scores. So this situation is the situation I've been looking for my entire career because it's the first time in my career where I felt like, yo, I don't need to go out here and try to get 25 in order for our team to win. On many of my other teams, I felt that way. Maybe what I was feeling wasn't correct. Maybe, you know, I could have played differently or played better for our team to succeed. But in, in the moment, I'm like, yo, I have to not just for our team to win, but for me to get an opportunity to go where I want to go. Because, yep. You correct. I've seen some of those teams. You had to get busy. You had to. So it's funny when people say, oh, he's not a, in the beginning of the season especially, oh, he's not a point guard. He's not, he's not this. He's, he's a two. He's a combo. I can't be a two. What do I shoot from three? I don't run off staggers. <laughs> what, like I, I'm not a <laughs> knockdown shooter, so how am I to, you know? Man, if you looked at my career, I actually went back and looked at um, some of my stats. 
people see the 20 assist night, but they don't know that in Perm, I had 25 and 17, 24 and 17. Um, so it's like, this is something that I've been doing, but now being in a situation where I'm surrounded by great players, it makes my job so much easier to facilitate the ball and just be super solid. Um, and then just to touch on pressure, for me, I don't feel any pressure because I'm not supposed to be here, quote, unquote. Like, I, I don't belong here, quote, unquote. So it's like I'm already in a situation where at the beginning of the year it was so much bad talks about me as a player, some as a person, where anything that I do that's not terrible, I'm already doing better than what people thought. So for me, I don't really feel too much pressure at all because it's – you know, is like I said, I'm not even supposed to be here based on other people's opinion. I remember when Basconia was struggling at the start of the EuroLeague season, when they were losing games, they were about to cut uh, to far the head coach Panaroya. Uh, I remember, let's say, from the sur surface, your numbers were in shining as well. And I remember, you know, hearing in behind the scenes, I was hearing that Basconia is about to sign a point guard. And I was like, who are they going to replace? Was it Nico Mannion or Cody Miller McIntyre? And, you know, your contract was, let's say, comfortable to make in-season adjustments. And you basically since then, when Dushko joined as well, you elevated your game. Do you remember the adjustment that you made? Do you remember that tough beginning and how you managed to change the season, to change the trajectory of your debut season? Uh, honestly, I just needed time. Um, like I said, this is a this was a new situation for me coming to a team where I don't have the score responsibility. So trying to shift my game to being aggressive, but not being aggressive and primarily looking to score. So in the beginning of the beginning of the season, you know, I'm surrounded by Chima Marcus, very efficient player, another top. I think second, second or third in scoring in Euroleague and needs the ball. Both of them need the ball. Um, so it was just trying to figure out my spots, figuring out what can I do differently, number one, than I've done in my past years to win games. And then number two, what can I do for this team to where I'm helping the team win and I'm still staying true to myself. Um, so it was just more of a timing thing, like a feel for the game understanding our offense, understanding what each coach wants, understanding where each player needs the ball. And I think, obviously, you know, when Dushko came, getting those minutes, him increasing my minutes, helped me get the feel for the game a lot faster, you know, versus, you know, five minutes here, six minutes here, three minutes here. It was, you know, Dushko showed up and it was, yo, this is what I need. Who's going to do it? whoever does it is going to play and just being able to be on a court for that amount of time with the players that we have in a new system. I think that's what helped a lot to be able to get me into like a, a rhythm. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you've adjusted. I'm glad you proved you belong to the year league, but getting back to this triple double thing, mm -hmm. explain, explain me something uh, guys. So Russell Westbrook tops the NBA with 198 triple-doubles all-time. My fellow Lithuanian, Domantas Sabonis, leads the NBA this season with 21 triple-double. While Yurli has 
four triple doubles in 24 years of the competition. Why it is so hard to do a triple double here in Europe in general, in the EuroLeague as well, compared to the NBA? Okay, um, I can give you multiple reasons. Number one, let's focus on rebounding, right? Rebounding is really tough because there's no defensive three seconds, which means that the fives and the fours can just sit in the paint and constantly be in that position to go get the rebounds. Um, you know, you're usually taught um, the guard to, you know, to be ready for the outlet. So it's really difficult for guards to get those 10, 11 rebounds with those big already down there. They're athletic, they're long, and with you usually in a position to get the outlet or to push tempo. So that's reason number one, that spacing. With that, the lead uh, defensive three seconds, that keeps the paint open. It allows guards to be able to come in there and sneak and get some boards. And with the emphasis on three-point shooting, there's not a lot of classical big men. Um, in the NBA. So a lot of those fives and fours are on the perimeter on the three-point line. It's a lot easier to run in and get a rebound um, when you don't have to fight with seven foot, six ten, six nine, that. So that's the rebounding one. Number two for assists, their assists are not like our assists. We actually create a basket for a person. <laughs> My brother's in the lead, you know, there's no shade, but I know the NBA says I watch games. I'll see the highlights when they'll be like somebody had 15 assists and I'll watch and it will be like <laughs> Pump fake, jab, pump fake, jab, tween, cross, tween, cross, step back, boom, up, under, boom, assist. And I just don't understand, like, you created that shot. So the assist is the reason, and also your ball control. Um, in Europe, a lot of offenses are more equal opportunity. So, yes, Cody is the point guard. He's going to have the ball. Um, yes, I'm a point guard. I'm going to have the ball, but the two is also going to have the ball. You know, he plays with a guy who's one of the top scorers in the year lead, who's coming off, pinned down, staggered, shooting the ball, playing one-on-one. He's really good in isolation to find his three-point shot. You know, those type of players uh, are going to have the ball in their hands as well. So in the lead, there's probably two guys who are going to have the ball the majority of the game. And on the really good teams, there's three guys and everybody else is just a spot-up shooter. I'm not saying they don't have the capacity um, to create or do stuff, but they're just – that's not their role, you know, where in Europe, it's more like it's a balance. Um, and any night, that's why you could see a random person any night scoring 20, or you could see a star player who normally averages 17, 18. You could see him having six and the team winning. Like that just really doesn't happen in the lead often because they're just going to shoot yeah. until they get their average. Um, whether that's 25 shots, five for 25, they're going to keep shooting. Um, and then the points, points are the easier part. Um, you know, to get 10 points, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm a scorer, so people might say, like, I'm saying it's easy, but, like, yeah. you can find it. Um, let's say you hit one three-point shot. Um, let's say you get one transition layup. Let's say you're a guard, right? You come off the screen, one floater off the yeah. pick and roll. You already had seven. You know, that's not counting free throws and a bonus, you know, doing what you got to do. Like, there's a way for them to score. So I think it's easy to get one of those categories if you focus on it, but it's hard. And then the third thing is the amount of minutes in the game. Um 48 minutes in NBA game, 40 in Europe. Uh, player usage, usually if you're on a yearly team, you're going to, if you're the, the key guy, you're going to be in that 28, 31 minute range. Uh, whereas in the lead, the key guy is probably in that 35 to 38 minute range. Uh, and if you're in a Spanish team or, you know, a team with a deep roster, now you're probably going to be talking about 23 to 26 minutes. So it's really tough to fulfill all those stats. Um, in that short period of time. And then if you look at the fourth thing, it's the pace of play. In the NBA, there's a lot of early shots, a lot of two-for-ones, a lot of pushing the tempo, a lot of quick shots. They they 
I put the emphasis on uh, sometimes shooting within eight seconds, uh, whereas in Europe we're running more sets. It's a lower scoring game, a lot of gritty grind. I know the Spanish yeah. lead runs, but it's physical. They're playing defense. They're doing certain things. They're looking for obviously the best possible shot, but sometimes in the league, the best possible shot might not be a great shot, but the player is just so special and he's a max yeah. guy. He's allowed to shoot that shot. Where at Europe, you could be the guy, but there's only yeah. so many shots right, you can shoot before a yeah, coach yeah. is like, all right, like, enough. Time to calm down. Enough. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, and I think that's... <laughs> so I think when you put all those you together, that's too, what you That get. was my number one thing where if you look at, I think it'd be an interesting stat to see the average shot attempts in EuroLeague versus the average shot attempts in an NBA game. I think that alone presents Ooh. multiple opportunities for more rebounds. So obviously, if you have more shot attempts, that's more misses. There's more chances for you to get offensive boards, defensive boards. So for me, that's like the key thing because the way I play, I like getting down there and banging with five men and four men and trying to out jump them and things like that. But if you're playing slow, there's no way you can get that. I think if you look at the pace that we played against Asheville, we were out. Like, we were gone. As soon as the shot got up, we got the rebound. We're running. Like, we played at a super high pace. So when you play that way, it's it's not easy, but it makes it easier for the opportunity to get a triple-double to happen. But if you're playing slow, no chance. Zero chance. And 20 assists is insane. I don't know if I, uh, even um, the, the triple double is crazy. I don't even know what to congratulate you on. Like the triple double or the 20 assists, like that. that's insane, bro. Like kudos to you. Um, I always thought, I never said it, but I always thought your game was yeah. like Jeremy Pargos. I don't know if you know who that is, but he was a big, strong guard like you, athletic, getting lane, dunking, runs the pick and roll has the ability to score. Like yeah. you said, not like a prolific score, yeah. but he could go get you buckets when it's time mm-hmm. and a big shot maker. I think that's what you always were, yeah. but you didn't have the spotlight to show. So like to me, your comparison of style of play is like Jeremy Pargo, yeah. and that's a guy who's had a big career, had a lot of success in Europe, played for a lot of notable teams, and I can see that, you know, being you just – taken off by storm and doing what you're doing. <laughs> you know, I tried to steal you, you know, tried to get you to come over here. Uh, Karshiaka, this is before we yeah. knew you had the greener pastures, but you know, um, you know, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to see, you know, someone who's has humility, um, you know, who is a really good self-assessor of who they are um, as a player, what they bring to the table. And I think that's what makes players, you know, really talented and really good. When you know who yeah. you are and what you do, you stick to that, right? I know what I'm good at. You know what you're good at. That allows you to thrive. You know, obviously you have a talent, you have a gift, but you stay mm-hmm. within yourself and you do what you do. And I, I like that. And that's what I think a lot of young players need to do. Stay within yourself. Continue to work on your game, right? Continue to develop certain things. But so many players get told that they can't do yeah. something. So they like, oh, I'm gonna try to do it. You know, mm-hmm. you can you can make the three-point shot. You yeah. know, you're not a prolific shooter, but you can make it, but you're not yeah, out there trying exactly. to prove it. You're like, I'm gonna take it if it's there. If not, I'm gonna create, mm-hmm. I'm gonna get my team, I'm getting in this paint. And that's what makes yeah. a point guard special, those paint touches. So I, I just like your game and just wanted to tell you that. Always that's been a true. fan of it. Before, nah, before you blew up, nah. you know, I know people are going to be like, I jumped up. I yeah. was a fan no, of the game so for many funny. years. I, <laughs> I was just talking to my cousin before. So I'm not like huge on interviews and stuff. Like I don't, I'm not a big fan of interviews. I don't like bringing more attention than what I need to, to myself. Because one, I'm very honest. So sometimes I might slip up and say something. I'm like... <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm being real. Like, so 
But <laughs> one of the things I told him, I was like, it's dope because especially with you, we've known each other since my second year in Europe. We've always spoke highly of each other. We always gave each other respect, even when we didn't know each other. Like I said, I started playing you when you were at Unix and I was at Perm, uh, Parma. So I was like, it's dope because this is somebody who, before this has even happened, always said good things to me when I saw him on the court before a game or after a game. So definitely I appreciate the support. And like I said, you've always been honest and you just told everybody now that last year in Gazian said, me and you had a conversation about me coming to play with you. And I was like, bro, bet I'm down. <laughs> like for sure. Um, and then you said one more thing that's so true. Kids growing up, they need to figure out what makes them unique, what makes them special, what makes them different. And a lot of people struggle with that because they see the social media. They see, you know, Mike James. They see a person like Marcus Howard. They see people like Steph Curry, the way they play, and they try to replicate that, but not understanding that, bro, that's not your game. You can't play that way. You can try, but you're never going to be as good as you can because you're trying to be something you're not. So for me, for example, I'm like, yo, like you said, yes, I can knock down a three. I'm not a terrible shooter, but the best thing I do is I get in the paint. I get to the rim. I draw fouls. I create help. I make people help. And if you don't help, I'm laying this up or I'm dunking it. Like I'm getting to that rim at some point in the game. And that's something that I know I can do that at a high level. So I try to only focus on doing that. Like you said, paint touches. So important as point guards. In college, um, me and my coach, uh, Randolph Childress, we talked about this a lot. And he would say, yo, dominate the paint. I don't need to be a shooter. I don't need to be a 50%, 40% shooter. Obviously, I keep working on it to make those shots, to make, you know, make people respect going over screens. But at the end of the day, if I can dominate that paint, that is what I do best. And that is what a lot of people can't do because of maybe size, skill set, speed, X, Y, Z, whatever the reasons is. But if I can get my feet in that paint, I'm I'm trying to. If I get a rebound, I'm pushing it 100% as fast as I can to get into that paint. Maybe I'm not even looking to score. I'm just running there because I know everybody will collapse and then shooters are open. So that's very important. Just figuring out who you are as a player. You know why now it makes sense to me that Cody Miller McIntyre actually, you know, recorded a triple double, which I didn't know before the podcast. I see that you're a humble and very curious man. I mean, reaching out to head coaches, reaching out to GMs to figure out what it does it take for you to go to that level. What's this gap all about? You know, before you reaching that level, it's. It's something that you rarely see in today's basketball. You know, somebody, of course, they're trying to find ways through their agents, but you know, to have this self-confidence and to be so curious that personally to reach out those those people, you know, who run the business, mm -hmm. who are at the top, it's 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 big. And that's my advice actually to anybody in any business, basically, whether whether it's you're a basketball player, whether you're trying to be be on top in journalism or whatever, just be curious about what you're doing, about what does it take to go to the next level about, you know, getting know the business uh, better because it really helps. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, uh, Itudas told me that once we had that conversation, 
And he told me like, yo, if you would have just signed to Zenit, the two year deal they offered you, the first year was Euro Cup, the second year was Euro League, maybe the conversation would be different between us. Maybe, you know, your situation would be different. So it's like, even just having that little advice, it's like from that day forward, I was like, yo, I'm good. I'm good. If the NBA comes, which now me being 29, I understand who I am as a player. I'm perfect for you. I I belong here. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't even think about going anywhere else. Like I, I belong in Europe. I've accepted that. Um, I had my chance. I had an opportunity. And I realized why I wasn't in the NBA. Like when I went there, I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay. This little 6'6". Six, six. He can pass, dribble, dunk on a seven-footer, shoot 40% from three. Yeah, bro belongs. Like, I'm 6'3", struggle with shooting outside, X, Y, Z. So it's like, <laughs> who, what NBA team just going to give me the ball and let me run off a million <laughs> screens and be super ball dominant? I'm like, nah, I'm good. Like, I'm good in Europe. This is where I belong. Um, but, yeah, just that little conversation that helps. Like, what's the worst they can do? Not reply. Dudes text girls all the time, and sometimes they don't reply. You can text a coach. <laughs> you can text a coach about your future to make money, and preach. they don't reply. They don't reply. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, preach. As you mentioned, <laughs> as you mentioned being self-realistic also uh, helps moving mm -hmm. forward. But you also uh, suggested this idea of checking the stats, and I've checked that Maccabi. Maccabi Tel Aviv has the highest field goals attempts average, 66.8 per game, the top of the year league. And in the NBA, we have Atlanta Hawks averaging 94 field goals per game. I was shocked. I, I thought that it's, it's, it has to be a mistake or something, but it's not. So that's a crazy difference. Speaking of those defensive rebounds who make the triple-double uh, at the end of the day, in the year league... I see that we have Real Madrid averaging 27 defensive rebounds, and that's the number one in the EuroLeague, while in the NBA we have Boston Celtics <coughs> with 47, 47 rebounds. That's a difference of 20, mm -hmm. difference of 20 yeah. defensive rebounds. So that's what makes the difference, actually. Yeah. 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 So 27 shots and 20 more rebound opportunities between the top of the year, Along the top with of all the, the factors that's, that's that insane. you said in terms of big man can't sit in the paint, the assist, they get 18 dribbles to get an assist. Uh, even when I played in the G League, I think I got a, not I think I did get a triple-double when I was in the G League my first month there. And it was like, it was, it was easy to do it. Like, because the way they record, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was easy to do it. Like, the way they record the assists, nobody is running in there, like, super really. It's not too many players that's really locked in on getting rebounds, especially in the guard position. So it made it a lot easier, a lot easier. But let's say Cody sets the new trend. Let's say getting a triple-double is easier in the EuroLeague. Who do you see the next EuroLeague player to do a triple-double? And this is tricky because I had to think mm -hmm. she's going to be a guard because it's going to be somebody who needs the ball to get that amount of assists and that amount of points. She's usually going to have to be a guard. Um, not too many Nikola Jokic is running around uh, uh, the year elite. But um, I was torn between two players just because they have size, they're athletic. Um, 
and they have that ability to create one Lorenzo Brown. Um, you're talking about somebody who is athletic, who's playing in the fastest pace, up-tempo offense um, in Maccabi. Um, he has the capabilities to go get rebounds. Um, you know, he's a guy that can hover in that four to five range, but he could have a day, you know, where he gets 10. Uh, he's a big assist guy. We've seen that ability, and he can score. Um, I think he's comfortable creating, um, but I do think that, you know, he has the uh, propensity to score as well. So he's a guy I envision. And then also, um, I think if he played with the ball more, um, this year they kind of changed their offense a little bit, and uh, Shane is playing more of the point. But I was thinking Darius Thompson, um, you know, taller guard. You're talking about in that six five range, who's athletic, who can jump, uh, who's a really good rebounding guard, um, defensively and offensively, um, but who also led to the year leading assist last year, um, mm-hmm. and he can score. Um, he's shown his ability to score more this year, um, playing off ball more. But I think he's a guy that um, you know. Maybe you'll see next year. You know, I don't know what they're going to do with the roster, but I'm assuming there's going to be some changes. And I think he'll be he'll be back and he'll have the ball in his hands a little bit more. And you might see an opportunity where next year he has it. And I think also with both of them, I think if Mike James wanted to, he could. Because if you look at the rebounds, if we're looking at like average rebounds, Mike James is one of the top rebounding guards. He always has the ball in his hands. He's, he can get the points and he gets the assists. So I think if, if that's something he like really wanted to do, he would be capable of doing it. Because like I said, just based on averages, I really believe that he is, or I think he is one of the top guards in rebounding in terms of averages. So yeah, those three for sure. Yeah, I have Mike James as my, yeah, a good option. Uh, one of my suspects as well. Actually, the other guard who has size and who is good at rebounding is, I would say, a little bit underrated option. It's Tomas Satoransky from Barcelona. He stands at yeah. two meters, yeah. one centimeter. He's mm, yeah. best rebounding point guard next to Cody. You both average 4.4 rebounds per game. He averaged almost four assists per game. And like already this season, he had like five, six games with at least nine, ten rebounds, six, seven assists. And... You know, he was reaching those numbers uh, in under 30 minutes of play. So I think yeah. that on, on some EuroLeague night, when he will be playing more than 30 minutes, he might get uh, this uh, triple-double. And it could, yeah. could actually happen. Of course, yeah. Nicolatis would be an easy option as well. But I was thinking about some bigs uh, who could, let's say, flirt with the triple-double. And I have two suspects. First of all, Mustafa Fall, who already reached the triple-double in the Greek League this season. But there's on, there's one important uh, condition in this case. Nikola Milutinov has to be injured, suspend, suspended, or whatever. He cannot play the game. That's what happened in the Greek League, I think, uh, where Mustafa Fall yeah. was the only option as the center. Uh, and the other big uh, was Tornike Shengelia, another great passing big. Uh, he he plays with the ball a lot, mm, yes. uh, and he's also I think he's the best passing big that we have in the Euroleague uh, with 3.6 assists per game. Uh, he's getting 5.5 rebounds per game, playing almost 30 minutes per game. So he has he also has that potential to become yeah. a Mister Triple Double. No, all of, yeah, all of those are great options. Those are good options, good choices. So this season we saw Cody getting a triple-double. What we also saw, him making a game-winner against two Greek teams, Panathinaikos and Olympiakos. 
Could you break down those situations, those game winners from, you know, technical side, from, from the mentality side, and what it takes to be a clutch player on the EuroLeague level? Uh, the first game, Olympiacos, um, the play was actually for Chema. I was supposed to give uh, Chema the ball, um, but he was being denied. And the way I am, the type of person personality I have, like I have, I always want that shot personally because I can take it if I miss it and I don't get too high when I make it either. But, like, I want that responsibility. I want um, – when I was at Partizan, for example, I took the shot to be Red Star and I missed it. And I'm going to take that shot a thousand times. If I have the ability or the chance to take it and I have the freedom to take it, like the players for me, I'm going to shoot it because that's what I want. That's what I think every player, they love that feeling of hitting a game winner, a game winner shot. You know, when I work out at home, I play with, like my imagination in my mind. Sometimes I'll shoot, I'm like, oh, game winner. Bucket on X, Y, and Z. Like this is something that I've practiced for years. Like I've imagined situations like this for years. So that game, Olympiacos, was it was actually for Chem and then against Pentanacos, I was like, for sure, I am taking this. Like I don't care what happens, I'm taking this shot. Um, I was like, I already hit one. We're at home. I feel good. I'm going to take this shot. And for some reason with me, when the time gets 3-2-1, I'm way better at shooting for some reason than I am <laughs> wide open with multiple <laughs> seconds left on the clock. So I think just my personality, I want – that's the type of pressure I want. That's why we play basketball, to have those moments, to make shots like that, to be able to be in a situation like that. So – yeah, that's just kind of my thought process on it. When I when I saw that, because um, I've been playing against Cody, I'd say since about 2018, um, I wasn't surprised because in my experience, Cody is a tough shot maker. Like you could play great defense, you put a hand, you do all this stuff, and like for some <laughs> reason, those are the ones he's going to make. And I'd be like, oh my, I said, I'd be, we'd be on the court. I'm like, man, that was good. He, like, he'd be like, yeah, that's a, this is a good shot. I'm like, man, I played defense on that one. But like, that's what he does. He has that, uh, <laughs> that will, like that power to sometimes just to hit. It could be fading away, leaning, pull a tough shot. Like, he's a tough shot maker. And I knew like when he had the ball, I was like, oh, he's in trouble. Yeah, so I don't, it's something. <laughs> I think it's just maybe it's a mentality thing. Maybe it's I need to shoot every shot like that. But in that moment, I'm like, bro, it's only two options. Either I make it and I'm a hero or I miss it and I'm not a hero. So I don't care. Like, this is going up. Whatever happens from here happens. But the main thing is, like, I want that responsibility every time. Um, Obviously, if it's a good shot, a decent shot, somebody's not wide open, you know, I'm – I really want that responsibility. Do you have to pick one EuroLeague player from the active EuroLeague players to try to hit the game winner for you? Who is your pick? Yeah, I'm taking Kevin Punter and Mike James. Those, if, yeah, if it's... Those are my choices. If it's anybody I got to pick <laughs> to make big or tough shots, um, Mike James, of course, and then Kevin Punter, because I know he definitely 
he wants that responsibility and he's going to probably make that shot 80% of the time. So yeah, those two for sure, without a doubt. Yeah. For me, I was thinking for sure, Mike James, I mean, anytime he has the ball in your hands, if you're um, a fan of Monaco or someone who's doing yeah. Monaco, you feel relaxed. You feel like, ah, oh, it's, this is probably game. Um, if you're an opposing team, you yeah. feel like, oh my goodness, you're nervous, you're anxious, you're, you're not feeling yeah. good. You're probably screaming, "Go double, go double!" But like, I mean, he's just right, some of the right. shots he makes is just ridiculous. Like the way he gets spaced, the way he's mm-hmm. twisting and turning there, he can shoot it going to the left, going to the right. Uh, I mean, he's just he's yeah. a master of those escape dribbles where like he throws the ball out far in front. And he takes those two yeah. big steps, and it, you know he's not very tall, but how he elevates, yeah. he's still explosive. Um, you know he likes to say he's old, <laughs> but I just say if you're old, what am I? But <laughs> he's he, he's a guy that um you know you just you just know he's special, man. And it's a pleasure to watch. And then Kevin Puncher, boy, those hezzy threes from deep, like man, he's been doing it for a while too. Like the Ike years, he hit some big shots. Um, and then, you know, you see it all the time now at Partizan mm-hmm. and then even in Milan, big shots. Like, man, he he's a guy that has also his high-level difficulty shots. At, and you're just wondering, like, how they get these off. And they both get mm-hmm. fouled often on their um, jump shot attempts, yeah. which tells you, like, guys are contesting. Guys mm-hmm. know that they can't give them any space. but And they, for some reason, I feel like they yeah. make it even Crazy. more when they get fouled. Yeah. Like, they get a lot of AM one threes per game. But those, those two – they're just on a different level when it comes to tough shot making and um, on the yeah. most important times and the biggest moments. It could be a regular season game. It could be a, mm-hmm. a, a yearly playoff game, whatever. And then not even just the game yeah. winners, those go-ahead shots that they hit, like with a minute left, two minutes, a team's making a run and they just kind of stick the nail in you, um, kill all the momentum, deflate the balloon. Like yeah. that, that I consider that clutch too, not just game winners, like, what you do in them last Absolutely. two to three minutes, Absolutely. that's clutch. Yeah, those two. Yeah, I think I've been playing against Kevin since I think we was in Belgium. Yeah, since we were in Belgium. And it's like, bro, I've been seeing this since he came over here. Like, I remember we did an NBA workout together. Um, it was in Orlando, the Magic, yeah. And they wasn't playing me and him. So me and him are in the locker room. We're mad. We're upset. We're like, bro. Like this one, like we should be hooping right now. And then literally, I think it was the fourth quarter, they put me and him in together. And we just went on like the craziest run, like just back to back to back. Him, me, him, me, him, me. And just seeing his ability, like you said, to make those shots. His his pull up, his mid range, you're not blocking it. Yeah, it's nah, he's elite and been elite. <laughs> Crazy mid range shorty right there. I think um, if I I figured everybody would say Mike James, Kevin I haven't heard Denonis yet, but a small caveat um, for someone who's kind of goes under the radar, who I think is a big time shot maker and who's hit a lot of big shots. Costa Salukas, he's a guy that you know you you least expect it because he's usually been on some really strong teams. You don't know where the ball is going to go, but he hit a lot of big shots those years at Finner under Joko and. He's a guy that has that capabilities. Even in Olympiacos years, he hit some big shots, even as a young player. I think that's a guy that cannot also be forgotten because um, he's done it for many years, and I think yeah. he still you know, has that potential. And we'll see this year um, when they get in those moments. I think you'll see a guy like him rise to the occasion yeah. when they're in that playoff format because um, it seems like they're going to make it. You know, they, I mean, it's unbelievable. First year, uh, I didn't mm-hmm. – with all the changes, with all the – 
you know, shifts and a new coach, you just never expect the team yeah. um, to figure it out. You know, kind of when they got that Kendrick Nunn signing, everything kind of just shifted. And, you know, I think you'll see his value really come to the forefront in those clutch moments when a lot of those guys haven't had yeah. that responsibility, but he has. And I think that's yeah. what you'll yeah, see this, value. This year we had a lot of great game winners. Uh, and I think that actually Cody and also Ife Lundberg, leads the pack i think that you guys made at least couple oh. like real mm -hmm. game winners and i would say these are a little bit unexpected names on the top of this list uh and as eric or, or cody mentioned it's it's so hard to measure unfortunately we don't have like stats that could measure the clutchness uh at least in the year league in, B in the nba of course they they measure everything but i had to tr i tried to check through some leaderboards like uh, top five players in contested field goals made. And actually, Marcus Howard is first with 151. Mike James second with 147. Shane Larkin third with 123. And actually with the highest field goal percentage. Keenan Evans is fourth. I checked top 10 players in points per fourth quarter only. Mike James is first with 6.2. Wade Baldwin is second with 5.7. Shane Larkin 5.7 as well. Keenan Evans is fourth with 0.56. And uh, the last one, the, the last category that was interesting to me was points created through scoring and assistant, assisting in the fourth quarter. So Mike James is first with 9.1. Wade Baldwin second with 7.8. Keenan Evans 7.5. Nicolas Laprovitola, a little bit, uh, a, a little surprise, 7.4. And Shea Larkin 7.4 as well. So yeah, mm -hmm. we have a lot of talent, a lot mm -hmm. of clutch uh, players in, in our league. Mm -hmm. And I I already went through a couple of categories yeah. where I didn't expect to see Cody Miller or McIntyre's name uh, this season. And I have to be honest with you, uh, when I saw Basconia signing, uh, uh, you and Nico Mannion, I was like, okay, I see Basconia, once again, they have potential. But to replace Darius Thompson, especially the way he delivered last season, it, it, it might be impossible. It's, it's going to be uh, hard. But now we see you as a Mr. Triple-Double. Uh, triple double. Now we see you as uh, somebody scoring game winners. We see you as a solid floor general of a currently playing team. And it's obvious that I was wrong. And I think that many people were wrong as well. I remember having conversations with some GMs who were actually surprised that Basconia signed you. Uh, so I would definitely include you uh, as one of my, let's say, top five surprising players of the year. Uh, I remember I was doing mid-season EuroLeague survey, and, you know, that's another category where I didn't expect to have you before the season as the uh, rookie of the year, while having Jabari Parker, Kemba Walker, Kendrick Nunn, you know, a lot of NBA players joining at their peak or, let's say, uh, before 30s, uh, and you're here topping the standings, topping the mid-season uh, survey uh, completed by the players. So that's a huge accomplishment. And I thought, who was the most surprising player to you? You know, who were these guys who you didn't expect to deliver at a such such a high level, or to to play important role uh, this Euroleague yeah. season? Uh, so to be honest, I don't watch much Euroleague. So it's it's hard. I will be a terrible person to ask because the only time I really watch is when I'm about to play against someone. I'm watching film. I'm breaking it down with, you know, one of the coaches. Um, 
So I'm a terrible person to ask, and that's me just being, I don't want to just say a name. So that's me being honest about, you know, that situation or that question. What is the reason behind it? Because, you know, there are basically, usually there are two camps, those who watch everything. I mean, they want to study every player. They want to catch up with the trends of some other teams. They just love watching basketball in their free time. Mm -hmm. And there are guys like you, like Vasily Mitsic, for instance, who I remember I was talking to, and he said that I want to stop thinking about basketball in order not to overthink about basketball in my free time. I don't want, I, I want to refresh myself, you know, to be hungry for basketball when the game time comes. I don't want yeah. to, you know, be in a basketball environment when I finish the game, when I finish the practice, because I think it helps my, you know, mental health going through those uh, seasons. What's what's yeah. the reasoning for you? Uh, I think for me is <clears throat> I'm interested in so many different things um, and I don't have enough time in a day to really study and focus on all the stuff that my mind thinks about, that I enjoy reading, that I enjoy learning about. Um, and I get anxiety. So if I watch a lot of games, I already told you the first thing that's going to come to my mind when I watch a game is he's going to pay how much. Now now I'm at home at 9.30 at night, angry, upset, for no re literally for no reason. <laughs> like, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. <laughs> like, I hate the way my mind goes. Somebody missed a – if they miss a layup, I'm like, oh, he getting X amount of money. He done missed a wide open layup. I, there's some <laughs> – I'm going to get mad. So I avoid getting upset. So I chill at home. I light my candles. I had the lights off, and I'm – reading something, studying something. Um, and then just after last year, especially after last year, just seeing how much energy I've put into basketball and then being away from family and everything that happened, I'm like, bro, there's so much more to life than just basketball. Because for me, I'm not going to be a coach. Zero chance. I'm not going to be a coach. I'm not doing nothing basketball related besides if my child, my daughter or son, when I have one, you know, I help them out. But since I already know that, I'm studying something to prepare for that transition when it happens because it's coming. So, but yeah, the main thing, I'm not about to get mad at the house at 10 o'clock at night and have anxiety and can't sleep because I'm upset about something I can't control. <laughs> For real. Eric, who were your guys you didn't see coming? No, that makes sense. So I'm going to give you one. I think he's super talented. I always thought he was good. Everybody thought he was good, right? But to me, it's a surprise because of the severity of his injury. You're talking about Keenan Evans. I mean, this guy is averaging 17 points a game three rebounds, four assists off of a Achilles. And, and, like, I always thought he was nice. Like, I'm like, yo, he, I like how he moves his pace on the court. I like how he gets to his spots. He can shoot the three. He has the mid-range. He gets to the hole. He's a strong guard. He has good size. He's a combo, can play the one or the two. Um, and if you need him to, he's strong enough to guard the three. But I just was like, you coming off an a injury of that severity, you just – you don't expect a guy to have that pop, to have that explosiveness, to have that first step, and to have that confidence that soon. And to see him coming back like nothing ever happened, back playing better. Like, he played good last year. He's better after Achilles. Like, that's crazy. So, to me, that is number one surprise. Like, I mean, he's shooting 52% from twos, 46 from three. 
and 87 from the line. I mean, he's doing it all almost with a 19 PIR. So, like, I mean, he is special. Like, this is an incredible year for anybody. But off of Achilles, I don't think people understand, like, the therapy, the time, the work, the effort, the down moments he had. Him probably thinking his career over might not be the same. You know, the guy who was relying on that first quick step, getting by guys. So, to me, he is number one surprise. And then um, if you go past that, um, for sure, um, Chima is a surprise. And not that he wasn't talented. This is a guy who played in the league who was killing at um, Mercia, um, dominating the Champions League. So, you knew he had that that talent. Um, Mandresa, right? And, I'm sorry, not Mercia. Um, Mercia. Mercia. Dominating at Mercia. And you so, know that he had that talent. You know, that got him to the Sacramento Kings. But then you're wondering, all right, did he need um, – a different type of offense, a different type of flow, or just was the fit wrong at Monaco? Because you know he's talented. And then you see him, okay, mm-hmm. it was just the fit. Uh, now you see him back to himself, back to his ways. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of it is your mental. Like, right, his talent was never a question or else he wouldn't have got these jobs. But now he's comfortable. He's He has a belief in him. He's getting the ball. He's getting trust. And that can do something for a player's uh, mind yeah. and body so much more than anything else. So I think those two are, are leading the pack um, when you're talking about Surprise, but not because of um, their talent. When I say surprise, I think people think, oh, this guy's not good. No, one guy was off an injury, and then one guy was off of a mental year where your head is like, where you at? How you bounce back from it? That shows his mental capacity. That shows his toughness, his heart to come back. Everyone questioning you, not playing how you know you can play, not feeling comfortable, and to bounce back one year later and to come out and play like this, that shows like that's a surprise because yeah. everybody not built for it tough. Yeah. And, and he showed that and ability to, to be a dog, really, yeah. because and a lot of guys might have packed him, it in. Um, and it's not – he didn't even come to mind because it's not surprising to me. So when me and him talked when we first got here, everything that's happening right now, you know, with the way he's playing and with the way I'm playing, me and him literally sat down at the beginning of the season and talked everything through. So seeing the way he plays right now, for me, because I'm with him every day, we hang out, we talk. I'm about to go have tacos with him and a few other teammates in a little bit. It's no surprise. It's like if you see our text messages, like the text I send him, the text message he sent me, it's like, yo, your mind is powerful, bro. You believed in this. And this is why this is happening. Not only did you believe, but you put the same amount of work in it. Um, and then the same with me, you know, the triple-double. Me and him talked about it. I said, bro, I'm going to get it. I'm not worried about it. I'm not stressed about it. It was a week where I almost had it twice. Literally in seven days, I was one rebound away or one assist away in two different games against Bologna and against um, Ephes. I was like, bro, I'm going to get it. Don't. I'm telling you. It's going to happen. So for him, it's zero surprise just because of his mentality and how hungry he was coming into this season and wanting to prove not only to himself but to everybody, you know, the type of player he is and the type of person as well. So. Yeah, I actually have Keenan Evans and Chima and Cody in my most surprising lineup as well. And the other two guys, the other two guys, one of them lineup. is Marco Bellinelli. Because he's top 10 in scoring at the age of 37 and he turns 38 next month. That's crazy to me. And Virtus is top five team in the yearly. I mean. Round of applause for all the old guys out there. I love to see it. 
Marco Bellinelli, keep putting on, showing Europe that us old guys can keep going. I love it. I love it. And for the center, I have a younger guy. And this is the guy that probably might be surprising to some uh, players, EuroLeague players, EuroLeague fans. Maybe Vili Hernan Gomez, because this guy was killing him in Kaunas. It's Lourinas Berutis. I mean, the guy... Uh, who joined Jalgiris last year, who actually rejoined Jalgiris, while even in Lithuania, only few people believe that he can belong to the EuroLeague level even as a domestic player, because of course they have exceptions and it's easier for them to get a spot in the EuroLeague team, let's say in Lithuania or even Serbia. But he is averaging 8 points per game, almost 10 PAR in only 15 minutes per game. He was decisive players in few surprising Jalgiris wins this season. He's averaging, uh, he's shooting 68% from two, almost four rebounds. And I checked stats. I checked the most efficient players in under 17 minutes uh, of play. And the only guy who averaged a bigger efficiency rating is Ville Hernan Gomez. I mean, coming from the NBA in one of the marquee free agency signings uh, this summer. The second name is Laurinas Brutus. So to me... Watching him being successful, especially also now under coach Andrea Trinchiere, who is utilizing him real well, it's, it's just amazing. And probably this is the most surprising name in this most surprising lineup. I think you can um, sure. throw Alec Peters into the mix too. This is a guy who had huge shoes to fill, you know, MVP coming in. You're not quite sure if he can fill that void. They go sign Luke Sigma. Um, he kind of really hasn't, you know, found his footing. Just, you know, maybe it's so many years being in Berlin and then, you know, you get a change of scenery. It takes you some time to adjust. But, you know, Peters is averaging 14 points a game. And, you know, he know he's a prolific shooter, but we've never seen him score with this type of consistency. But this is also the first time he's had an expanded role. Um, he's shooting 55% from twos or from threes, I'm sorry, and 86 from the line and 61 from two. So, I mean, a guy shooting 55 from three, you know, we know Sasha Vazinko is that hell of a shooter, but it seems like, you know, he's picked up right where he's left off. You know, obviously he's not getting that 18 points a game, but, you know, I think he's filled in admirably and um, he's shown his value there. And what I really was, you know, surprised to see was the rebound uptick. You know, he's averaging over five rebounds a game. And, you know, a lot of four-man shooters, you know, don't get down there. They don't mix it up. Don't get, you know, a little physical, but he's showing that yes. versatility. Speaking of, of Sasha Vazenkov. Uh, Cody had an opportunity to share the floor with him in Bulgaria national team. I think you guys played like a couple of games in 2025 Eurobasket pre-qualifiers. Yeah. And, you know, if if you saw Vizankov in the EuroLeague and if you think he was great in the EuroLeague, I mean, in FIBA basketball, in national team basketball, he's, he's, he's even better. I mean, in... In the last Eurobasket, he was averaging like 27 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists uh, against some strong uh, national teams. And in the pre-qualifiers, he was also averaging some crazy numbers. What, what it's like to share the floor with Sasha while playing for Bulgaria? I wish we had more time to practice together. Because obviously, you know, me going there, he wasn't there the first game, so... The ball was in my hand. Majority of the game did really well. But when he came and seeing his ability to score, I was like, bro, take the ball every time here. Like, I'm going to go sit over here. I'm going to go try to get some rebounds. I play defense. I don't need to shoot, bro. Like, you, I think, I want to say he probably had like 30, 30-something. 30 that game in February last year. 
but it was insane. His confidence, how quick he gets his shot off, and how his ability to score was nuts. I'm like, one, I wish we had more time to play practice because I think with me and you, especially in pick and rolls, we would be a very tough matchup if me and you both are very aggressive. Um, but I loved it. I loved playing with him. Um, obviously, I wish he would have been able to come when we just played, but obviously with the NBA and his injury he's going through. Um, but hopefully we can do enough, you know, in the next window and the window after to potentially make it so we can, you know, have a chance to play together. Yeah, the worst part is that uh, those windows for the 2025 Eurobasket qualifiers will be played during the season in yeah. next November and February. So if Sasha is staying in the NBA, it's it's just mm-hmm. it's just worse. I mean, he it's 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 worse for Bulgarian national team because he won't be able uh, to help you guys. So let's hope that you will get the job done. Great victory against Germany, uh, especially you know going after this loss against Sweden. It won't be easy, but. I was just thinking, did you guys try to talk with like Sasha? What ceiling do you see for this team while you guys being the core players of that team? Because, I mean, having Cody Miller McIntyre and Sasha Vizenkov, even in a tournament with Yanis, Nikola Jokic, and Luka Doncic, I mean, Poland national team proved that uh, it's not necessary to have one of those free NBA superstars. You still can make it to the yeah. semifinals. So, did you yeah. consider the ceiling? Uh, of of this national team, how far you can go? So honestly, the the way I think about things, I kind of just think day by day and game by game. Where for me to even think that far ahead, it's like there's so much to do before then in terms of just obviously the EuroLeague, ACB, all of summer, and then realizing like we still have two windows where we have to play Montenegro twice who has a really good team, really good guard, especially with uh, Perry being there, uh, Kendrick. And then, again, we have to play Germany and Sweden as well. So it's a lot of work to do before even considering, you know, how we match up with another team when he's able to come. But I think with me and him, I think it'll be a fun game. I don't think it's a game where people can just show up and be relaxed because he has a big name. I don't have a big name, but he's a dog and I'm a play extremely hard as well. So it's, you at least have to be super focused on the effort and the energy that we both will bring um, along with all the other players that we have as well. So everybody plays extremely hard. They're confident. And I think when Sasha is able to be there, it gives them more confidence, more energy, and it makes them want to fight for something, you know, that underdog filler. Um, And it's basketball. Anything can happen on any given night. A team can have a bad shoot at night, and we're just super hot that night. I may hit five threes that night, and who knows, you know? So... I want to I wanna pause you there for a second, because you've been an underdog your whole life. You've been under the radar. You've been, you know, under-regarded. Um, and I think it's a weird position for you. Your name is no longer underdog. There's not too many guys who get 20 assists in the game. Four guys ever have had a triple-double. And I know this is unfamiliar territory. It kind of happened to me when my career started taking off. I was so used to being a guy who played Division II NAIA, a guy who 
you know, didn't have opportunity here, a guy who was under, a guy who was always challenged to do something that I always felt like, dang. And then when your name starts to grow, when the respect starts to grow, when the contracts start to increase, when the team's names and prejudices start to improve that want you, um, it's a weird feeling. And I know it's going to take you time. I think you're in that process right now. Um, you're not you're not a little name no more, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna say I think I think we're beyond that, and I think if you continue, I mean, right now you're averaging almost uh, a little over eight points, um, seven eight assists, about five rebounds a game. Uh, one of the top assist guys, Big Shot Makers, has a chance to get his guy in the yearly playoffs, a starting point guard for a playoff team, possibly in the yearly. Yeah. Uh, that's not a little name, so just it's, get comfortable it, with it. it you know, I, it I, I get happen. it. You want to psych it, yourself it won't out because I hold grudges. <laughs> it won't happen. I hold. I literally hold grudges for a long time. So, like with this basketball stuff, it's like no matter what happens this year, let's just say something crazy happens. Basconia wins everything. ACB, we win EuroLeague. Even if that happens, the next year, I'm mad about something. I'm angry about some situation, something a coach said to me, playing against another coach that didn't give me the opportunity, who never looked at me, who somebody who, you know, they said I wasn't a point guard. I couldn't play at this level. So it's like, yeah, even – like you said, and I appreciate it. Like maybe people don't think of me an underdog anymore, but it's like, yo, yeah. that's my mentality. And that's the only way I can play. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But that that salary uh, <laughs> next year and the previous year, uh, the future yeah. years is going to say you're not an underdog. And then also um, <laughs> the minute you play the role, um, yeah. potential in the future, you're only 29 years old. So I think your game can continue to trend where You could have the potential to be an all-year elite type of guy. Um, you know, making one of those teams if you're on a winning team and you're able to to continue to create and grow your game yeah. like you are. So I get it mentally, you know, all that stuff is going to stick with you, but there's going to be guys who line yeah. up and they're going to be excited. Oh, Cody <laughs> McIntyre Miller, he made how much? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. They're they going to be excited, you know, and it's, yeah, the roles is going to yeah. reverse, you know, so you'll, you'll see it. But um, just just keep that grind, keep that mentality, and um, you on up and yeah, up. That's a great mentality that, to have. Let's wrap this podcast up with all-time performers. And Mike James is 29 points away from becoming the all-time EuroLeague leader in points. Uh, it's just a matter of time, and he will surpass Vasilis uh, Spanoulis. And I was just thinking, and probably Mike was thinking uh, the same as well. Is this record going to establish Mike James as the EuroLeague GOAT? So uh, you, you asked that. Um, I saw the question, and it depends on what you describe as the GOAT. You know, if we talk about scoring potential, of course. I don't think his scoring ability is unmatched. That's just, that's why he's about to break the record. Um, but for me, I think Kyle Hines, for me, he has how many championships? I think four yearly think championships. Four. Yeah. Um, He's been a champion almost everywhere he's been. If you look at his career, how long has Kyle Hines been playing? About 25 years? <laughs> My fault, Kyle. Uh, uh, no, he's been playing a very long, a long time. And he's only been on, what, five teams? Something like that. He was in Cheska. Yeah, he was with Cheska for like five to six years. Olympiacos. Cheska, Bamberg. Second Milan. division in Italy. Olympiacos and then a, yeah, um, so a second division Italy Yeah, so he's been playing for X team. amount of years and only yeah. been on 
a very handful of teams. Um, and he's a winner. He's a guy who's accepted his role. He accepted who he is and he established, you know, his uniqueness in Europe and also pretty much won everywhere he went. So for me, it's Kyle Hines for sure. Who, who do you consider as a GOAT, Eric? See, it's, it's so tough um, because I think Mike James is one of the most talented and gifted players to ever grace Europe. I think um, when you combine, you know, that, that athleticism, that speed, that quickness, um, his ability to score from the tray ball, from the mid-range to get in the paint, I mean, what do you want? Floaters, scoop shots, left hand, right hand. Um, he'll also go dunk it on you. Like, you know, he rebounds, he assists. I mean, to me, I think he's one of the best, if not uh, the best player to play um, in Europe. Um, but I know how Europe works. And Europe and also the U.S., they grade everything on rings and championships. And Unfortunately, he doesn't have one of those, but also it's the product of the teams that he was on. He was never on a team that was a favorite to win. He was never on a team that was considered a powerhouse. He was usually on teams that were under the radar that overachieved. He takes a Monaco team that overachieves, comes one game short of making the final four um, against Olympiacos uh, two years ago. Um and then you think he was on that Basconia team, but he was young Mike. He was baby Mike James. Um, and he was in the Final Four, you know, and Barusis, uh, Darius Adams, Adam Hunger. They had a really good squad. And that team, no one expected them to to be there. And, and they did. It was like a Cinderella story, um, you know, one of the, the great Basconia teams. And then, um, you know, so you kind of think when he was at Pana, it was in that transition stage, right? Jelko leaves. Um, they're trying to find out who they are, what they have, like, you know, um, you know, Spanulis is now at Olympiacos. Like, things are just different, you know. Dementitis is not coming through that door. So, like, I feel like there is an exception when you're not on yeah. a team that's bona fide, supposed to win, all those things. But um, to me personally, I know the GOAT is probably going to be Spanulis. I mean, you look at the way he scored, the way he did it. He was also, I think what people forget, an excellent defender early in his career um, in those Panda days. Um you seen him do it on two different organizations. So that shows his talent. A lot of guys can play on one team and they'll be good because they're comfortable because everything's perfect for them off the court, on the court, the system. It's so easy to play when I know everything, what to expect, when I know everything is given to me because I've earned it But by based on being on, there on seniority. I've been there for so many years. But when I go from one team and when you're talking about in Greece, one of the strongest <laughs> media markets um, there in Serbia, like we're like, they're going to kill you um, if you don't play good. And you're talking about winning the championship, winning the EuroLeague um, in Panthinaikos. And then you know what? I'm ready to go on my own. Um, I, I learned from you, Dementitis. I learned from you, Jekyll. I'm my own man now. I, I, I'm not a youngin'. And he goes and he goes to Olympiacos. And what's he do? He wins two of them. Um, and that just shows, like, that ability um, and all those big shots, those clutchers. So, to me, Mike James is a better talent than Spanulis, right? But Spanulis to me is my GOAT just based on the championships, his impact on those games, how he's able to do it to go from Panthenax to Olympiaca. That's a guy who doesn't give a damn. I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to live my life. And I, I respected it. And so people probably won't understand it, but yes, I think Mike James is a better talent than Spanulis. But no, I think Spanulis is the GOAT. And I think 
Kobe Bryant is a better talent than Michael Jordan, yeah. but I think Michael Jordan is the GOAT. Like that that's my that's the best way I can sum it up. Kobe has a better skill set. There's more things he can do on the court, like more ability. He's a better scorer, he's a better shooter, like but Jordan the GOAT. If there was a debate, I would be also on Eric's side uh, with Vasilis Panoulis. And even though we can consider Mike as a better talent, at least in Europe, he won't get that recognition of being considered the number one guy if he doesn't start winning titles. That As simple as that. And it might take only one or two titles to, to change the narrative, but it's something that European basketball fans will be always picky about when Mike James will start his own GOAT conversation. So... So yeah, that's that. One title at Monaco will go a will be go a long way. Like I'm, I'm sorry, but like a title at Monaco is greater than one at like Olympiacos. But is it greater than like three titles? Real Madrid, like people. Pro- ah, <laughs> 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 see that that's where it gets tricky. <laughs> and and, and Annie had a back to back 2012-2013. I was in Greece, and they were back to back and. He had his imprints on everyone. That's why it's so hard. Cause like, like Spanulis, like man, he really did it. And it, and I played against him, and I seen him in his prime. I seen him when a lot of young players didn't see him. They saw him towards the end. I seen him when he was that guy, and it was yeah. it was tough. Boy. It There's was also tough. a reason why Yanis considers Spanulis as the goat. There's the reason why Mike James was copying Spanulis' signature uh, step back shot, and it's also. Nice that Mike James is going to become the all-time uh, leader in, in scoring in the EuroLeague. And the first, the very first basket that he made was actually while wearing a Basconia jersey. And that's the team that had a lot of, I would say, great starts. Great, uh, big, a lot of big journeys has started in Basconia. And it's great that we are enjoying one, uh, another great journey in Basconia this year, and I hope that uh, journey will continue for Cody Miller-McIntyre. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast, man. Thank you, man. I definitely appreciate both of y'all. Right, blessings to you, man. Good health. Hope you have a great season, and uh, you know, keep doing what you do, man. We enjoy watching you play. Man. Y'all know. started off rocky. Yeah, it was, was not enjoyable to watch at the beginning. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. I, <laughs> yeah. I said some things. And yeah. I, I stand on it. It was bad basketball. But then something changed. The Dusko magic happened. And, you know, y'all been fun to watch now. And it's a pleasure to see that. And y'all have Absolutely. a really good fan base. So they deserve Absolutely. to see that beautiful basketball. Nah, we're definitely trying to keep keep it going, man, and do our best to try to make playoffs for sure.